electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Tim Seymour, Karen Fireman, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. We start off with Netflix reporting earnings moments ago. The streaming giant under pressure after missing revenue. We'll have full team coverage throughout the hour as we gear up for the conference call, which starts off in about an hour. Julia Borson's in Los Angeles working the phones to get Wall Street reaction. Fast Money friend Gene Munster's in Minneapolis, and the chart master himself is right here at the NASDAQ to give us instant reaction on the stock move. We'll check in with the team later. But uh, right now, we want to start with Guy. Netflix is up 50%, as you all know, from December lows. Um, and right now, we're giving back just a little bit in the after-hour session. Not too much. Down yeah, I mean, the international subgrowth is ridiculously good. I mean, it's strong, and it's been strong for quite some time. Yeah, maybe a couple quarters ago it missed, but it's been pretty consistent moving from the lower left to the upper right in terms of international subgrowth. You got to admire that. But it's not unlike last quarter. We had a very strong quarter after a stock that's rallied a significant amount, and then it sold off. And I think that's what you're going to see here. I'm actually surprised it's not down more than it is. Now, will this sort of be a bellwether? It sort of augurs well or poorly for the market going forward? Maybe, because if you remember, when Netflix reported last quarter, you had the knee jerked higher. Stock started trading lower over the next couple of days. And within a few weeks, the market followed. I think you might start to see very similar in the weeks to come. What is striking is that the stock, as we mentioned at the top, is up 50% from the lows. And it's only down 2.8%. Look, this, this is an amazing uh, yeah, show by the stock. Very resilient, especially a stock that in absolute terms moves 6 or 7% uh, every time they report. So when you consider that we traded and without, you know, I'll, I'll leave to the technical guys. I'll just tell you that this stock was as overbought going into these numbers um, as we'd seen. There's two other times when the stocks had an RSI of over 80 and you've then corrected 15 to 20%. It hasn't been a disaster, but it just tells you this stock tends to get ahead of itself. As someone who's been critical about this company of the valuation, I have to say, if you're disappointed on uh, a slightly lower bottom line because they're spending more and spending costs are up, um, the whole reason this stock seems to be doing what it's doing is they're spending tons of money on content and people believe that they're competing and they don't really care about short-term profitability. So um, I'm acknowledging that to poo-poo this stock based upon these numbers would be inconsistent with what's been allowing the stock to outperform. Yeah, and then obviously, Tim, you cannot poo-poo the fact that they're putting <laughs> through this price increase. I don't so, poo-poo anything. No, but if you think about it, let's just say they have 60 million or so U.S. subs here. They're raising prices by 15%. You do the math, that's an incremental $1 billion that just drops right to that bottom line. So that is actually the most important thing that happened to this company this week. And we're going to know in three months if they have churn because of that price increase. And that will be part of the bear story. But in the meantime, if you're a bull, you can be hopeful for the fact that they're able to raise prices like this. And it's all incremental. It drops to the bottom line. It helps them offset that negative free cash flow they have from that content spend. Right. So it gets to exactly what you're saying. Is there an operating margin that they could actually reach, right? Even though they they may get there, they very well may. I, I still, just on valuation, I couldn't own it. It's too expensive when we don't know what impact there's going to be from considerable competition that is really only just it hasn't even really begun yet. 
So Can I ask got, a question yeah. on valuation? Because what I think is interesting about this company is relative to itself, um, it's actually cheaper than it's ever been. So uh, because right. they're earning out of it. So does that matter to you on a, on a delta to a valuation that was awful when you look at stocks? It matters just because it was. It's something more astronomical at a prior point. I mean, it gives me not really much much right. of a fundamental sort of floor. To mm-hmm. it, they're they're moving along in the right direction. I have to say, at every turn over the last several years, they've been able to do things that I've been surprised. The most important one being switching to content. I thought, no way right. could a movie delivery company become a content a behemoth, and yet they've done an extraordinary job doing that. So, so I've never been in it. Missed the whole thing. I mean, look at the most recent Bird Box, right? right. How much are they? They're less than a Hollywood movie. They've gotten forty-five million it? Bird, bird Box. Bird what, what, box. Guy, I mean, you're obviously bird a blindfold. Like, it's like what I do in a show every night. Yeah, pretty much. There, there's a cliff. Of course, the wow. They're on memory. it in EC. Forty-five well, million. I have no idea what Bird Box is. But this is less than the price of a Hollywood movie. This is what's really important. If you're if you're a bear on the notion that they spent ten billion dollars on original content, they're going to spend thirteen, fourteen, maybe fifteen billion this year. Is that that original content makes up less than ten percent of their entire catalog? And the big thing about two thousand and nineteen excluding the price increase, is the fact that Disney's already told you they're going to take off their best content off of it. Time Warner, you know, HBO, is basically going to do the same thing. So you have all these streaming systems. So over the next year, you know, they're going to be more reliant on that spend to keep people there. And that's when you may see churn start to ramp up, especially when there's all these other competing services that consumers are spending yeah, $14, $15 exactly a month for. Do you think that they will be able to gain some traction? Listen, that's Disney's been the bear story. It's one of the things that I'm cling to every once in a while when I, like, you know, conceive of a short idea in it, but they just seem to kind of work through it. Yeah, they work through it, and they might work through it again. But, you know, again, you, you said it. The stock's went from 250 to 350 pretty much in a straight line over the course of a month. This quarter was good. We acknowledge the subgrowth. They were rewarded for that price add on Tuesday or whatever today is a couple days ago. So that manifested itself in the stock. Now you're coming down to brass tax, and the brass tax is negative $3 billion free cash flow. At some point, the market cares. Again, I, lo- I love the Netflix story, but, you know, they're starting to mention competition. You haven't really heard them talk about that. They're talking about it now. What does it mean? Well, you could have a 50% correction in the stock. You've seen it before. From and 250 you, to 350 course, gets you to 300. And the, and the story is still alive. And the story is still alive. Right. And, and that's, that's, that's well, been clear. The interesting thing, I mean, when they mention competition, it's not just the cable providers. It's not just other streaming services. They said, we compete with and lose to Fortnite more than HBO. Right. So the competition is a much wider net than just the other streaming services or the other channels out there. It's just a you know competition for the eyeballs there. And so you're right. getting it from the video game sector as well. Yeah, I mean, we see that also in Facebook and whatever. They're losing mm-hmm. screen time right. to Fortnite as well. I can't help but think that Fortnite, three months from now, will probably not have the impact. I mean, and then there'll be something else. No, but something else. <laughs> haven't, haven't we suggested that Disney uh, or CBS or even Apple, someone should be buying uh, an EA or Take-Two or, or maybe, you know, someone we don't know about. I mean, obviously, Tencent has been doing this, but the media companies, this is content. Interactive sports, yeah. you name it. Well, listen, you know, Niantic, remember Pokemon Go? That was like this huge thing two I or still three years Pokemon. ago. They just, so raised, well, they, just, they just raised $250 million the other day. They're going to basically um, launch a new multiplayer game on Harry Potter. I mean, the same nerds who are Netflixing whoa, and whatever whoa, hey. are playing Harry why, Potter why games, and you only have two eyeballs, what? right? So, like, it, you know, it's serious competition, and they're seriously funded. 
You know, I'd take it. I'd take. Yeah, guy, defend umbers. the nerds right now. I mean, now. Thursday night is when I go home. I put my little hat on, my magic wand, and Glasses. I play Harry Potter with all my friends on the line. Brilliant. It's the best thing. It's brilliant. When I say fifty <laughs> yeah, percent correction, I want to be clear. It's not a fifty percent move to the downside. It would be a fifty percent correction of the move we've just seen from two fifty to three fifty, oh, yeah. which Dan Nathan gets you yeah. three hundred dollars. Yeah, there what are some outstanding questions that uh, you all have well, this quarter? Uh, uh, the questions I have are fresh update on when will you be cash flow positive. Yeah. In other words, we, we thought 2018, we were guided 2018 was the year the burn was over. And by the way, does this tell you that they feel more pressure? I think we just said they do. They have to compete more on content. All right, let's get more on Netflix's earnings. Bring in Fast Money friend and Loop Ventures founder Gene Munster. Uh, so, Gene, um, what'd you make of the quarter? And what is this change in how they report subs? So uh, I haven't got through the detail on the mechanics of the change, but the net of this is that they beat the sub number by 15%. Now, the initial take was they had slightly missed it, but they actually did exceed it. And so I think that that's uh, an important part as they're continuing to add subs. I think that the uh, bigger questions related to the call tonight, uh, I think uh, somewhat related to Tim's question too, but just around the, the pricing and separately the content spend. I was in Los Angeles yesterday. I met with a couple executives from the industry that are working closely with Apple and uh, separately Netflix and Amazon, all the players. And they talked about the content spend is effectively going to double for doing uh, these productions, this original content in the next two years. And so I think those type of uh, elements need to be teased out in the call. Okay. What are uh, some of the other remaining questions that you have, Gene, about this quarter? I mean, what is striking to me, and we were discussing this on the desk, is the stock reaction. I mean, for the past 10 quarters, the average move on the back of earnings has been plus or minus 8% or so. And this is a relatively muted move with a stock that's up 50% from its lows going into the print. Yeah, I think that uh, people who are optimistic about the Netflix story, I'm less optimistic longer term about it, which we can talk about later. But I think those people should feel good about just down two or three percent, given the fact that the upside, uh, well, there was upside, this still trades at an 85 times uh, earnings multiple. I know earnings isn't the key here, but just to put that into perspective, is Amazon trades at a 65 times. So this is uh, measurably more expensive than Amazon. And what that means is that you need to continue to have some more substantial upside. So if I would have seen these numbers before they came out, I would have bet that the stock would have been down a little bit more than it is right now. So I think that the people who are supportive should feel good about the reaction. Gene, I'm not comparing Apple to Netflix, but I'll make this comparison. When Apple changed the way they were doing things, stock went from basically 210 to one, let's call it 140, 145. Should Netflix be punished similarly? Uh, it, right now, I think that a lot of people are still, uh, present company included, trying to figure out exactly what the mechanics of this change were. And so that, that, uh, that reaction may ultimately be, be coming. And so uh, in the case of Apple, the reason why the reaction was so swift, it was just a very easy thing. They were disclosing the iPhone units, then they were not. And so it was relatively quick to get your head around it. I think this case might be a little bit different. But I think it does speak to a difference in the way investors view a story like Apple uh, versus these higher growth stories. And I think that they are, they're much more lenient on negative news when it comes to uh, stories like Amazon or, or Netflix. How do you figure out how to value something like this? So uh, you cannot look at an earnings ratio because there's really no historical justification. I think what investors need to do is think about how disruptive can these companies be. 
and uh, think about other areas that they can change. I think if you look at the FANG stocks, uh, several of them, if you think about Amazon, Apple, Google, uh, they will all change the world dramatically. So it's easier to build cases uh, for higher multiples for those stocks, even though Apple's been penalized. In the case of Netflix, they're not going to change the world again. Their business model is not going to be different. And so uh, the simple answer is I struggle with that question about how to value uh, Netflix because, well, I think it is they're doing a lot of good in terms of capturing broadcast eyeballs. I do think I do not think that this company should have an outsized uh, multiple, given uh, they probably aren't going to make a dramatic change to our lives in the next decade. Gene, you said you're not um, extremely positive on the Netflix story going forward. And so I'm wondering if you're for whatever... Whatever the reason may be, are you seeing signs of that appear? Are there cracks in the story that you're seeing in this quarterly report? There's two things. First is we uh, uh, impressive price increase. The speed of the price increase was a little bit faster than it happened. It was just under two years, and most people think that would be two to three years. That's coming from a sign of strength. So I understand why people are optimistic. But every time you do that, every time you take a step forward like that, it sets the bar even higher. I think back to what happened to Apple in 2017. They raised the pricing, and that became a, a near-term, kind of a, a six, nine months positive impact on the stock. But it actually created a higher bar for the future. And I think that even though there is pricing leverage with Netflix, I think that that bar just got higher. That's one piece. The second is that this competition is going to be more, uh, more impactful in the next two years. And if we think about CBS, Disney, uh, Prime, Apple, all of these, people will have multiple subscriptions. I want to be clear about that. But the issue here isn't about whether they have multiple subscriptions. The issue is more competition can have a negative impact on the multiple as investors think about different options. The right. Fortnite comment really jumped out at me. And I think that that is another X factor here that impacts our longer <laughs> term is that the company needs to navigate that shift in terms of content for the younger audience. What's your grade, Gene? We're going to give it a B. And uh, ultimately, for this kind of high multiple stock, you just needed to do more to uh, earn a higher grade. All right. Gene Munster, thank you. Good to see you. Gene Munster of Loop Ventures. Uh, let's get instant reaction to Netflix's earnings. Take a look at the charts here. Charmaster Carter works over at the Plasma. Carter. No, you, you touch on the key word, Melissa. It's muted. Uh, I mean, this is a high beta stock, uh, a beta of one and a half times the market. It's had a lot of big movement post news. And this, frankly, nothing's happened. You see here, 341, it started the week at 337, so it's a, a big old unch. But let's look at where um, uh, levels that matter are for the stock and what bulls and bears have been anticipating. What I wanted to highlight, of course, is its all-time high. The implied move was going to be about 8%. That would have taken you into the high 300s, but we know that that's not what's going to happen tomorrow. What really is happening, and, and um, Tim, you referred to it, we have an overbought condition. And whether you use a price oscillator like MACD or RSI, if you look at the next chart, you can also just do simple trend work. Netflix is stopping, it will turn out, quite precisely at this downtrend line where it is stopped. So a little bit of a poke above, but what is going to happen tomorrow is that the stock will start to vacillate and or work lower at that trend line. So a rally to an inherently difficult level. The news is out and we're seeing what's happening post-market. The bet is that Netflix has run out of gas. And now, frankly, it's neither bullish or bearish. It belongs here and it's likely to trade in a range and do nothing. Hmm. Carter, why don't you come on over? Shelby will bring the chair over. 
<laughs> you like how I just decided? No, I don't yeah. see. I didn't say anything. But it's late time. in the eight block. I didn't know we had time I mean, for Oh, yeah. I mean, no, I decided that we had time. time. There is more. Okay. that RSO Okay. Hey, look, man. You're rubbing off on me. Because I think that the knock on this rally is that we've come too far too fast. But if Netflix is able to hang in there, does that change how you think about the rebound off of the December right, lows? For equities in general, in, right? For equities sure. in general, maybe tech in particular. Right. I mean, so the issue is when you have a sharp rebound, think the only way you get that. It's predicated on a sharp sell-off, right? That's definitional, right? It's elemental. So which is the primary data point and which is the secondary? Is the rebound primary or is the sell-off primary? The primary data point is the sell-off. And the secondary data point, right, is is the ricochet. So now at this point, um, do you start to make the bet that a lot of the moves, whether it's BAC yesterday because of its earnings or Netflix today, have basically been exhausted? That whatever potential did exist has been exploited, right? Because clearly there was potential. It turns out down in the lows in December. Now money has exploited that potential. Uh-huh. I think a great deal of the potential has been exploited. Okay, so uh, along those lines, we were talking t- earlier today. You mentioned Taiwan Semi, right? Yeah. Taiwan Semi had bad news. The sector didn't sell off again on that same bad news. The banks today, Morgan Stanley had a terrible quarter. The banks overall didn't sell off, right. and they actually held in. It wasn't an excuse for investors to give back the gains that they made in the financials week to date. Is that a good sign? Yes, it's a, yes. The answer is yes, it's a good sign. But what is it predicated on? I think a lot of it's predicated on the fact that they think that, that they being traders, investors, machines, think there's going to be some accord between the United States and the Chinese, which I'm not all that optimistic about. And they think this Fed has magically turned dovish from being hawkish. I think I w- those are two things. I was just going to say real quick, it's simpler than that. When you think about the market collapsing in December, it's investors being panicked with one month left to be or, or two weeks left to be kind of um, have their performance. And then when you think about early January, you have all year to make your performance. You can take so you're a bit more risk averse in mid-December than you would be in early January. That's the way I see it. Really quick here. I I think this is about an an economy we were very, very concerned about in December. And the data points were telling you that we've now had banks basically look record earnings uh, out of these banks, you know, record revenues. And listen to the airlines telling you that business bookings are up, premium cabin. This is not stuff that happens. Businesses don't send people out to the other side of the world or even the other side of the country if they're worried or if their business is poor. I think the airlines and the banks gave everybody a sense of confidence that they overreacted about the economy in the at least in the in the month of December, for sure. All right. Well, Carter's going to hang out, so we'll see him later on in the show. Love Still it. ahead, we'll have more on a disappointing quarter for Netflix, what it means for the market as it gears up for its earnings call. Plus, a wild day for stocks, the Dow soaring amid reports the U.S. could ease China tariffs, but then quickly falling as those reports were squashed. The uh, traders will tell you how to trade the trade war whiplash. And Home Depot and Lowe's both under pressure this week. We'll tell you why Wall Street's getting nervous about these two stocks. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Talk about a buzzkill for the home improvement stocks. Lowe's and Home Depot both getting hit as Wall Street analysts fear Sherwin-Williams' disappointing forecast could spill over to these retailers. 
Could there be more pain ahead? That's the, the favorite pastime in terms of extrapolating yes. one person's problem, one company's Spill problem, like yeah. onto, I mean, yeah. 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 onto yeah. another Funny. company. Right. Not really. Well, it, you know, it's not good. Sherwin-Williams data isn't good. I do want to point out Home Depot, which we're going to get to, doesn't sell Sherwin-Williams, but they do sell Bayer. They do sell paint. They aren't seeing that in their paint business. There was the, the J.P. Morgan piece out today where they lowered their Home Depot mm -hmm. slightly, 205 to 203, which is really... I mean, that's not tinkering much. Yeah. amount. 2%. Right. It's not really, so that's not a big deal. I like Home Depot. I used to like Lowe's more, but given how far Home Depot has come in, the differential between the two is Home Depot is, a, is should have a premium multiple. It trades at just a tad under 17 times earnings. I don't know what's going to happen with housing, but I like the setup. I like also that they're spending a lot of money, right? So right. these are earnings post-spend. And I think that they've done a good job in the past allocating resources to spend and having a good return on that. I mean, maybe what Sherwin-Williams said was not all bad because they did say that they saw a rebound happening in December into January. And Home Depot and Lowe's have a they report at the end of January. So they do have time or February to capture yeah, February, February to yeah. capture part of that rebound. Yeah, look, I, I don't think there's a, any mystery that the housing market is struggling on a couple different fronts. Some of it's just affordability, some of it's interest rates, some of those things are cyclical, some of these things are structural. But Home Depot and Lowe's, uh, to me, are, are in a very a very solid position in terms of they are not overstored. The, the, the floor space per, per capita is significantly lower than other big box stores. They live in a different world. Home Depot's progress in pro and in the, the money they spend, as Karen points out, into technology and embedded logistics and procurement, I, this company is in a very it, good position. You know, this is an interesting conversation. It reminds me of us talking about UPS and FedEx last night and talking about, like, not, not, not that there's similarities between what they are, but what they mean possibly to extrapolate a little bit. And one of the things, just from the price action, you know, last night I think we were all in agreement that the, the bounce in UPS and FedEx has been just pitiful relative to how much they've sold off mm -hmm. and the downtrend. And I think you could make the same case for Home Depot here. It's kind of really disappointing. It's still down 20% from last year's highs. I know it's had a decent bout in line with the market here. But to me, these are the names that you want to focus on. Um, when we start selling off again, they may lead to the downside. Quickly. And, you know, Home, Home Depot is a retailer. Retailers have gotten bludgeoned. Home Depot gets caught up in that maelstrom of things. Sure. So I maybe wow. on... A lot of Good big word. words from you. That's fantastic. Yeah. So there's an E in Maelstrom. Uh, there Does is. it belong there? And no eyes. And That's no right. eyes, as it turns out. <laughs> Genius. <laughs> no I and Tim either. For okay. more on Home Depot Never. and where the stock is heading, go to tradingnation.cnbc.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC, first in business worldwide. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. FOMO. The fear of missing out. And that might be exactly what's driving this market rally. But don't be scared. A top technician will tell you how to catch the run. Plus, the Facebook haters are at it again. But could this week's Time Magazine cover be a sign the worst is over? We will explain. Much more Fast Money after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business.
absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash methane. Welcome back to Fast Money. The Dow officially out of a correction after a wild day for the markets and conflicting reports on the trade war sparking some Wall Street whiplash. Bob Pisani is down at the New York Stock Exchange to break it all down. Bob, what a roller coaster today. And it's still not clear what's going on. The S&P rose more than 20 points late in the day on reports the U.S. is considering lifting tariffs on Chinese imports to give Beijing a reason to make deeper concessions in ongoing trade talks between the two countries. Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin proposed lifting all or some of the tariffs. This is according to the Wall Street Journal, which reported on this in the middle of the day today, citing people close to the matter. Now, the goal is to push forward trade talks and get China's support for longer-term reform. U.S. Trade Representative Robert Lighthizer, however, is resisting the idea, worried that it could be considered a sign of weakness those sources also said. Now, stocks came off their highs shortly thereafter, as our White House correspondent, Eamon Javers, said sources told him there was no talk of lifting tariffs now. So even before the middle of the day, stocks were drifting higher. And that's the key story right now. The markets have a new fear, I'm calling it FOMO, old story, fear of missing out on the rally this time. First and most importantly, the fear that earnings growth would go to zero in 2019 has largely abated. Earnings expectations are indeed lower, but most still are expecting gains in the mid-single digits rather than zero or negative growth. You see 6.1% today. Second, the market is considerably cheaper than a few months ago. Even with a 10% rally, the S&P is trading at roughly 15 times 2019 earnings. That's at the low end of the historic range, and it's well below the roughly 17 to 18 level we were at during the highs of last year. Finally, there is FOMO, fear of missing out. With the S&P unexpectedly up 5% almost in the first half of the month, fund managers are again underperforming. Now, those fund managers remembered underperformed last year in the down market, now, the opposite has happened, and they can't afford to underperform in an up market, getting dragged back in. Back to you, Melissa. All right, Bob, thank you. Bob Bassani for the New York Stock Exchange. So given all this trade talk back and forth, is it truly safe to buy these dips? And what do you make of this notion that there is FOMO at this early stage in the year? Yeah, I absolutely. I, I think there is. I think yeah. there absolutely is. No. Well, so uh, to me, if we get another 20 points on the S&P and you're through that 50-day, by the way, we're, we're right there. We're right at the level where the S&P is supposed to sell off, uh, right at the 50-day. But if you get through this, um, most people will say, oh, boy, um, I thought we were going to correct right here. In the last three or four days, remember, we've been grinding up against that for four or five days. This is a very positive and constructive sign. So you layer in the Fed, layer in earnings, banks, airlines telling you the economy's not so bad. I mean, That's FOMO. To me, today sort of highlights that the number one thing out there is trade. Yeah. It is by far and away the most important thing because if we do get a trade deal, not just we have that, but we have confidence resuming among CEOs who are willing to spend. And that's what's been weighing down the market. It's the most important thing, more important than the Fed. Well, with the S&P 500 up nearly 12 percent from this December lows, our next guest has the ultimate trades to catch up on this rally. Let's head back over to the plaza where Carter Worth is there still. Sure. Hey, Carter. Thank you. Let's look at the S&P first and then uh, a few sort of uh, catch up trades, just as you've characterized it. 
You know, the symmetry is what's so remarkable. If you were just to, of course, look at the low there at Christmas, look at this move here and where we were at that point, it is literally same number of days down, same number of days up. But what's inherently obvious is that we are back to a very difficult level. You'll see this in uh, many chart presentations, and in that sense, uh, it's obvious to all, but it is what it is, a rally to a level where considerable overhead supply comes into play. People who bought poorly, who suffered a lot, who now have the chance to recoup losses and get their money back. And not only is there memory from above, there's memory from below. Whoever nailed it at the bottom, when you have quick gains like that, they itch to take those gains. Let's uh, move to another chart, see what we can look at from here. Let me clear these. And what you're going to see is the line as I drew it, meaning an inherently difficult level. Could you press higher? Yes, but every point from here is hard fought. I think this is as good a place to start harvesting gains as any. Now, if I draw the line even further over the past year, now we get into where there's all of this in terms of overhead support, a year, uh, excuse me, of supply, um, not likely to work higher with ease. And in fact, the higher it goes, I think the more vulnerable it is to profit taking. And then finally, clear this, and what we have is just how steep, and I've tried to change the scale here a little bit, and where the overhead supply on a very immediate basis comes into play. So moving forward, take a look at a few individual securities. Constellation Brands, a great winner over time that is down some 38, 40%. At this point, uh, Constellation versus the S&P, I believe has throwback potential, an instance of so bad it's good. Another instance of this, take a look at a industrial, United Technologies, again, plotted versus the S&P. And here, I think you're going to get convergence, one versus the other, whether they both go up, but UTX goes up more, or S&P down in UTX, but either way, UTX being the choice. And then finally, take a look at FedEx. An extreme situation here, too, meaning there's a lot of beta in this stock. You see that it overshoots. We think this is an undershoot. And that just as there was, to some extent, mean reversion this way, the bet is that there's going to be a bit of mean reversion this way. Now, there are a lot of others, but these are as good as any. Carter, come back on over. It's a double, double, double for Carter. Have we ever done that before? Yeah. Is this the first and fast money first? This could be the first feels, time in fast money amazing. history where I've asked the guests over. <laughs> the same guest twice yet, in one show. Yeah. Yet, I'm just going to let Dan ask you a question about FedEx because he was just poo-pooing that uh, stock. Oh, that seems to be the word of the day. So one of the things that struck me about that whole presentation is how precise those support and those resistance levels have been. Last year was a very range-bound year, and then when they broke, they broke. All these stocks that you just have, there's clear sailing if there's reason to go back up, back to those breakdown levels. But do you think when you get there, that resistance, you may get those 10% bounces in the FedEx, in the UTX, and that sort of thing, but is that it? Is that as it, good it as it should be. Growth? I mean, that gets back to the issue. Have equities been topping for the better part of a year? They have. Remember, equities peaked a year ago in January, and even though the S&P, quote, made new highs in September, October, sector after sector failed. The financials never made a high, right? The industrials never made a high. It was all Energy MAGA. Never Semis was, never made a high. Semis yeah. never made a high. Uh, materials never made a high. Staples, I mean, basically what you had was a thinning market, bifurcation that was resolved just as we know. And then here's the thing about, there was not synchronized global growth. What there was, all within about 72 hours, equities are high, 
Crude oil's at $79 a barrel, and rates are at $330. And, quote, out of nowhere, equities plunge 20%. Oil drops from $79 to $42, and 10-year money goes from $330 to $252. Is that the kind of thing that represents a good reset, or is that a major hit that ultimately foreshadows other things to come? I, I don't know. Can I ask you a different question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, those are such one. fundamental questions. Okay. I think of you just technical. Well, they so are charts. They're okay, charts, so meaning is, those are simultaneous. Okay. This never happened before. So, all right, you have this level that it gets back to, 2650 or so. How yeah, much of the money is sort of, is worried about getting back to that level? Has that as a peg? Was at, that was their cost basis? Something. How much of the buying down at the bottom cares about that level? A ton of it. Meaning, so there's only two kinds of buying. There's machine buying, and then there's people who don't look at machines or are doing it on their own, whether it's as a mutual fund manager or an individual uh, retail investor. Supply, overhead, right, is a very powerful principle, and it has been in effect for hundreds of years. There, if you, just the human condition, if you buy something at 30 oh, guess, and they yes. give you 50, most people say, and that's the great sin. They give it up when it sh they should stay because it could go a lot more. Why give up Bank of America here? You'd say stay with it, right? But a lot of people say, I made too much money. I got to take it. So when you return to that level, the, 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 the emotions get involved. I want to book it and or the people who watch their Bank of America literally destroy them, make them think they're going to have to sell their home. And then, my God, I got my money back. That's where all of this triangulates. It's the definition of a, likely to be hard fought from here. A lot of people and a lot of machines are very cognizant of cost basis. Carter, thank you. Thank you. Carter Braxtonworth of Cornerstone Macro. Which of the three catch-up trades do, such, you, such do you like? I can, can I do my own catch-up trade? Is sure, that outside yeah, of the that's rules great. of this game? No, no, it's not no, a game. We play a lot of games on the show. So, you know, a few weeks ago, we played Trade It or Fade It, which I finally think I've figured out. And I faded, if you recall, ExxonMobil. And I said, you know, there's a very good chance we push down to 68 bucks. And you know what? Believe it or not, we actually got there. Now it's pushing towards 71. I bring it up because they report on February 1st. Oil seems to have found some sort of a bottom here. If the dollar is going to continue to potentially weaken, you should see continued strength in commodities. Maybe you see ExxonMobil continue to rally into earnings. So that would be my catch-up trade. What is yours? Well, I, I, you know, FedEx and, and uh, Constellation are two names that I've been buying over the last mm -hmm. couple of weeks. I was a little early on, on, on FedEx. Dan talked about its underperformance. But look, what outperformed today? Transports. Look at the IYT. So if, if, if you're getting some sense of confidence, I think look, that's a balance sheet. That's a company that I've believe in. And on Constellation, look, you know, beer decelerated about 200 basis points. They're still best in class. This company is now very cheap relative to itself. All right. Let's go check on our big earnings mover this hour. Netflix uh, near the after hour session lows. American Express meantime is down just around uh, 2% or so. We'll bring you all the headlines that are moving these stocks. Plus Facebook under fire again, gracing the cover of Time magazine. So why did the stock close higher today? The traders have got some clues. Much more fast still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert. American Express falling after hours. Uh, the company reported moments ago. Let's get to Deirdre Bosa in San Francisco with more. Deirdre. Hey, Melissa. Well, on one hand, Amex is seeing higher card member spending and borrowing, speaking to the strength of the consumer, but it's also seeing higher provisions and expenses, which are weighing on shares in extended trade. On the analyst call, CEO Stephen Square is optimistic on the year ahead, but also alluding to some of the macro uncertainties. Our growth was broad-based among consumers and businesses, and it was well-balanced across geographies and business lines. While there are mixed signals in the political and economic environment, 
Based on what we see in the business, we are starting 2019 from a position of strength. Now, one of the biggest mixed political and economic signals ahead, the U.S.-China relationship. So I thought it was interesting that Square noted that Amex is the first foreign company with approval from the People's Bank of China to build a network to process domestic currency transactions. He said there's still a good deal of work to do, but it has the potential to give Amex first mover advantage. Now, foreign card companies have been lobbying for direct access to the Chinese market for more than a decade, but progress has been very slow. Now, China-U.S. trade tensions could inject more uncertainty and further lengthen that timeline. And even if Amex does get first mover advantage against Visa and MasterCard, it'll have to contend with giants like Alipay and Tencent's WeChat Pay, who have risen to dominate mobile payments while Amex and the others have been shut out. Melissa. All right, Deidre, thank you. Deidre Bosa in San Francisco for us. Uh, Karen, what did you make of this quarter in this 2% decline? I mean, it's fine. The stocks uh-huh. had a nice, you know, run, run back until very recently. It's fine. It's not expensive. I'm just, I don't know, I'm sort of lukewarm on it. The, the macro pressures talk about particularly how expensive it is to gain customers. And then, of course, you have a little bit of a little bit of credit tick up, which so, isn't a big deal. So we all know who you're not lukewarm on is Jamie Dimon. Did you hear him I yesterday? I love Jamie Dimon. In fact, I saw him yesterday sort of with like 500 other question. people. Yeah, kind of rhetorical. But here's the thing. <laughs> I, was, I was listening to what he had to say about their quarter and what their loss provisions did go up. He didn't seem too bothered about it. He said their loan book is going up. Yeah. But right. their expenses went down. What did Amex just say? Their, their loss provisions are going up and their expenses went no, up. No, they're actually J.P. Morgan's expenses weren't, weren't the high. They were up. Okay. Well, right, whatever. I still love Jamie Diamond. Well, it's not, it's not about, it's not about that love affair. But my point is, is that they're having the loss provisions yeah. go up, they're having yes. their expenses go up, and the stock's being punished. And one other point, you know, we we're talking about these precise technical levels. Look where that stock just got rejected at 100 bucks. I mean, and that was a huge support level yeah. last year. Yeah. I mean, for Amex, they're increasing their loan growth, right? They want, they need more yeah. revenue. They're increasing their loan growth. So loans outstanding. Uh, we're up 13% year on year. So the question is, do you want that exposure in your portfolio, or do you want a going into a potential right uh, with a Mastercard well, or MasterCard, Visa, yeah, which right? I have? Mastercard is like a 30 multiple, right? It's a totally different. This is a 12, 13. 12. But is your question asking, uh, you know, would you want to be concerned if, if credit is turning? Yes. Um, this is a company to be more aggressive, and this is where many have failed before them. So uh, whether they will or not. Look, they, they just guided 8 to 10 percent revenue growth in 2019. Those are solid numbers, uh, you know, relative to, you know, what, what they had guided. I think that's a reaffirmation. Um, but you're right. It, look at look at the way the life insurance trade. I mean, all, anything that's got extra credit exposure and extra leverage was destroyed and, in fact, still underperforms. Quick, would you rather? Oh, I li- oh. like this game, would you rather? It, it means I have to pick between two different companies. And Melissa Lee tells me, I'm just giving the rules. Go ahead. AXP or V? Visa. Cool. I would say V and MA for the reasons Tim cited, although, it, listen, American Express is 12 times probably the credit risk is priced into the multiple, but I think credit is turning, so I'd rather be in the transaction. The transaction maker is supposed to be the one that takes a credit risk. All right, still ahead, Netflix lower after reporting earnings. The company conference call is about to kick off. We'll tell you what you can expect, plus Facebook soaring more than 20% off its December lows, and there is one under-the-radar indicator that could signal the worst is behind it. We'll explain when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Facebook, on the cover of Time magazine, for all the wrong reasons, some big tech titans, including Apple CEO Tim Cook and early Facebook backer Roger McNamee, taking aim at Facebook's business practices and calling once again for federal regulation of the tech behemoth. Despite being called out, the stock ending the day higher. It is up 13 percent so far this year. 
So is this a case of the magazine cover indicator signaling that the worst may actually be over? For Facebook, Dan. Uh, well, the last time we were focused on a magazine cover for Facebook it was back in September 2012, where Barron said, "Is it worth $15?" And their answer was <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> that was when the stock was 23 bucks. I mean, listen, I don't place a ton of emphasis on this. I just say, if the main reason why you're staying away from Facebook is fear of federal regulation, then you're probably thinking about it wrong. When you think about the fact that the government is partially shut down right now and with no end in sight, and all the other problems they have, they're probably not going to get around to Facebook anytime soon. Karen? Well, it's funny to me. I mean, Time Magazine has so many times called the wrong thing, the housing boom, right, at the very, very top, the internet bubble. It's such an old school kind of uh, medium to give this right. message, right? So I don't, he, there were a few points in it that were interesting, but I think it's starting to stop trading down on the same bad news over and over. Right. Although we should put that 13% move in context, because we learned yesterday that the average stock is up 13%. And you were incredulous. Because it seems crazy, but so is Facebook. To reward someone for being up 13% when the market is up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think in Facebook's case, though, look, we, we know that they have this this the weight of the world in terms of regulation. And also, I think it's more really the jury of perception amongst their users. I mean, th that to me is more what I worry about. And then I worry about a company that continually can't tell you how to value uh, the cost to improve their business. That's what worries me. Again, I don't think this company is going out of business. I think they have an enormously profitable business. But I think the multiple uh, until proven otherwise is a function of the quality of the management and the sense of corporate governance risk. Traded up basically to where the stock was after Mr. Zuckerberg testified in March in front of Senate. That's where it should stop. That's where I think it will stop. And I think as we approach earnings, to Tim's point, I think it's going to roll over and head back down. Well, one trader thinks the worst could be behind Facebook. So, Dan, why don't you head over to the plasma and tell us what you saw. Yeah, sure, Mel. There's some interesting <laughs> options action today in Facebook. Call volume was two times that of puts. Um, and there was an interesting trade that caught my eye. It was called a risk <laughs> reversal, um, where a trader sells an out-of-the-money put in the same expiration, buys an out-of-the-money call, and they're creating a bullish structure. Um, tr the trade in particular today was in March expiration when Facebook was trading at $147. The trader sold 2000 of the March 125 puts, and they used the proceeds of that to finance the purchase of 2,000 of the March 170 calls. That trade basically makes money on March expiration above 170. Worst case scenario, the stock is 125 or lower, and the traders put the stock and has uh, losses below that. What's really interesting to me about this sort of trade structure, though, is there's this huge wide range, uh, about 30%, where on March expiration, there's no gain or loss. And these are the sorts of trades that you might put on if you're trying to kind of uh, just, you know, get away from some slippage of an entry price after a 13% rally like Mel just said um, about it. So let's just go to the chart real quickly here and just think about some of these levels here. Obviously, that was the high um, from last summer. The thing has been in a very, very uh, steady downtrend. It's gotten right back up to some kind of interesting support here right near um, 150 bucks. So just like Guy said, um, expectations are getting high into the print. They report on January 30th. The options market right now is implying a about a $12 move in either direction between now and February 1st. That's a pretty decent size move. But at some point, I think it's really important to remember that at one point in last year, earnings expectations for 2019 were supposed to grow like 20%. Right now, expectations are for them to be flat over a year on a 24% revenue growth per year. That's the expectation. So to me, at some point, sentiment might be bad enough in this one. All right, for more Options Action, check out the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Still ahead, we are 10 minutes away from the start of the Netflix earnings call. That stock is down 
around 4%. We'll tell you what you can expect. Plus, as earnings season gets into full swing, Jim Cramer says a number of market darlings look cheap into their reports. Find out which names he would be buying at the top of the hour. We're live at the NASDAQ and Times Square. Much more facts still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. Netflix falling after hours, and we're just moments away from the company's earnings call. Julia Vorsons in Los Angeles to tell us what Wall Street is watching for. Julia. Well, Melissa, analysts are trying to make sense of some of these new numbers that CEO Reed Hastings revealed about how many people are watching certain Netflix shows and movies, including 80 million households who will watch Bird Box and 40 million households who will watch two new series in their first four weeks. And we can expect to hear plenty of questions about what those big numbers mean for Netflix's growth going forward. Here are three things to watch for on the upcoming earnings call. First, the impact of the price hike Netflix announced Tuesday. We can expect analysts to ask questions about whether there's any concern it could slow conversion from free trials or drive current subscribers to drop the service. And how frequently price hikes are coming, considering the last one was just 15 months ago. Second, the competitive landscape. Hastings talks a bit in his letter to shareholders about competition, saying that they compete more with video game Fortnite than with HBO. He also says that their focus is not on Disney Plus or on Amazon, but rather on improving their content. But with Disney Plus and AT&T streaming services launching this year, plus another streaming service from NBC Universal launching next year, Hastings could be pressed not just on competition for viewers and subscription dollars, but also those media giants continuing to pull back their content from Netflix. Third, content spending. Hastings hasn't given any guidance on how much the company plans to spend on content this year after spending as much as $8 billion last year. It would make sense, though, that Netflix would be spending more this year. The question is just how much more. Melissa, back over to you. All right, Julia, thank you. Uh, Julia Borson in Los Angeles. A lot of questions uh, going into this presentation. I think the spend is going to be a huge one because we haven't heard anything about that. So they're hiking prices. Are they going to be spending more? And for three, negative $3 billion free cash flow, that's a problem. I think competitions, obviously. And I'll say this, you know, Gene Munster, who was on before, gave the grade. You asked him what was the grade. It was a B, and that's fine. But now the important verbal portion of the exam takes place. <laughs> and they better not flag that because that could take was it down another 5%. Was that the technical portion of the exercise? Those are like the most sort of like that, yes. Oh, okay, I was thinking like in, in I, I think Reed Hastings has proven over the years to be pretty adept at handling Wall Street and their questions. And the, the truth is right now, though, is really a, a, that move, right? It's that move from 260 to 353. And so I can't imagine, though, that there's anything they're going to be able to describe in the call that's going to make it go back up, you know, and, and make its way towards 400 in the next couple of weeks. I just don't see it. All right. Up next, final trades. It is final trade time. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. Another correction trade or recovery, whatever we called that two blocks ago. Emerging markets. EEM has now actually broken safely above the 100-day. I've been layering in. Stay there. Just catch-up trades. Catch Karen. Trade. Yes, I guess catch-up trade also. FedEx, yeah. Carter touched on it. I own it from higher. I like it. It really has not bounced back significantly. I think when they, when they released mid-December, it was as bad as it could be. I think it'll come up better than that. Uh, here's a stock that already caught up. It was Netflix. And, you know, Guy's been all over this for the last couple weeks thinking that you're going to have a move back here. But I would not chase it here. I think you probably see it back to his level, 300. Seller. Dan. Here's. Oh, sorry. Guy. Guy. <laughs> I'm going to get Dan. I mean, you know. No, no. I was, I was, she, she's like, squirt box on her brain. Seller. Yeah. 
of Netflix. CBS. Yes. We had an upgrade today. Moffitt Nathanson. We have that gentleman on from the yes. call from time to time. And maybe all the bad news is that. Listen, I get the whole less thing. It's <laughs> really bad. But you know what? Valuation is. is compelling. Charlie Bravo, Sam. All right. That does for us. See you tomorrow. Mad Money starts right now. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge, and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.